We celebrate Christmas every year, but have you ever wondered why? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a newborn king? In the film called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah gives you a front row seat as you travel back in time to experience the sights and sounds of this pivotal moment, the birth of Jesus. Make this your new Christmas tradition. Why the Nativity is available to stream for free at whythenativity.org. Watch it today for free at whythenativity.org. When you receive a gift, the best way to show your appreciation is by using it. So what are you going to do with God's gift to mankind, the gift of Christmas? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers some suggestions and insights inspired by those who first knelt in awe of the Christ child, the humble shepherds. To introduce his special message, What to Do with Christmas, here's David. Well, you know, this is uh, the beginning of the weekend before Christmas at our church. This is a big, a big time because we have the reenactment of the Christmas scene with live animals and uh, people come from everywhere to help us uh, celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure it's that way for many of you as well. Here on the radio, we are going to talk about what to do with Christmas as we turn in our Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Luke. We'll get started there in just a moment, but I'm still kind of hammering away at the importance of you getting the devotional for the new year. You know, did you ever stop and think about the fact if you get this and you stay on schedule, you'll be reading your devotional with hundreds of thousands of people around the world. We all be reading it together, not knowing so, but but it's true. And uh, somehow that unique connectedness is really important as we walk through these very interesting days in our country and in our culture. Be sure to ask for your copy of Walking with Jesus, the devotional for the new year. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point today. Well, here we go. This is part one, the first part of What to Do with Christmas. A little girl came home from Sunday school waving a paper for her mother to see. Look, Mommy, she said, the teacher says, I drew the most unusual Christmas picture she has ever seen. Her mother took one look at it and had to agree with the teacher, hoping her daughter could explain her creation. The mother asked, what are all of these people doing riding in the back of an airplane? Well, Mommy, that's Joseph and Mary and their flight into Egypt. Accepting that, the mom asked another question. Well, who's that mean-looking guy up in the front? Her daughter answered quickly and knowingly, that's Pontius the pilot. (laughs) And finally, even more closely, she examined the picture, and there was quite a large man sitting in the back behind Mary and Joseph. And who is that, said her mother. Can't you tell, the little girl asked. That's round John Virgin. So there you go. I love the way kids read the Bible. They just read it the way they see it and takes a whole lifetime sometimes to get the reality back in the meaning of it. All over our city, you will see billboards that say Jesus is the reason for the season. These billboards are rented each year because if we're not careful, Christmas becomes all about us. Our schedules, our diets, our budgets, our wish lists, our time off, 
our vacation, our parking spaces, our gifts to enjoy or to return. I love the trappings of Christmas, as you do, but the truths of Christmas are far more important than the trappings of Christmas. And too many people get wrapped up in the trappings and forget the truth. I mean, how can we enjoy Christmas if we are the reason for the season? (laughs) The real story of Christmas is so much better than any of the other stories. The birth of the Savior of the world has no equal in literature or in history. There is nothing that even closely resembles the miracle of that occasion. On that night when Jesus was born, who received invitations to greet the newborn king? The world's emperors, priests and prophets, soldiers, scholars? Yes, it's true the wise men came from a long way away and they bore precious gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's also true that heaven broke forth in a choir of angels praising God in the night sky. But who were the first visitors? That was an honor reserved for the lowliest of the low, the least educated of men, ranch hands who were despised by the upper class, men whose skin glistened with sweat, whose clothes gave off the stench of the fields, those who lacked the most basic manners, who used language unfit for your children's ears, minimum wage earners who were unlikely to be admitted to any respectable establishment of the time. They bore names nowhere recorded in the Bible, yet whatever their names may have been, they were on the guest list for the most joyful moment in human history. In his book, Good Tidings of Great Joy, William Barclay wrote this, It is a wonderful thing that the first announcement of God came to some shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the Orthodox people of the day. They were quite unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law. They could not observe all the meticulous hand washings and rules and regulations. Yet it was to these simple men of the fields that God's message first came. It's interesting to me that Jesus never ever refers to himself in the Bible as a priest, never calls himself a preacher or a clergyman or a bishop or an elder, but oh, how he loved to speak of himself in terms of being a shepherd. (laughs) For instance, when he looked out on the crowds of people in Galilee, they reminded him of sheep without a shepherd. He told people repeatedly that he had been brought into this world that he might be the means of gathering the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And looking into the distance, he saw that there were sheep who would come to him from other flocks as well. Most poignantly, this is what he said about himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Just exactly who were the shepherds in that Christmas story? Here's something for you to consider. Many believe they were Levitical shepherds. In other words, shepherds who had been chosen and trained to watch over the flock of sheep that were to be used as sacrificial lambs in the temple. If that is true, consider this thought. The shepherds who were looking after the temple lambs we're the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Now, as we read the story of Christ's presentation to the shepherds in Bethlehem, we see a pattern that you and I can emulate today, and it makes Christmas very practical and very meaningful. As we walk through this together, let's ask God to help us apply the example of the shepherd to our own lives. What are we to do with Christmas, you and I? Well, first, we can receive the Christmas message. Luke 2, 8 and 9 says, There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Imagine the wonder of that evening for those humble field hands. One moment the skies were dark and their moods were darker perhaps. And the next moment an angel was in their presence, an angel with amazing news. Surely the shepherds shared our questions. Why here? Why now? Why us? And they were afraid. And then they heard the message of the angel. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel's message to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus condenses the gospel to its core. The gospel isn't for some, it's for all. It isn't just news, it's good news of mega joy. And it's the best news that there ever has been or ever will be because it brings deep, everlasting joy to anyone who will receive it. The shepherds received the news that long-awaited Savior had finally been born, the one who had been prophesied for hundreds of years. The Lord had sent saviors to rescue his people before. He had sent his Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Samson, but they had never had a savior like the one who was to be born that night. Here are some things about this savior that sets him apart from any other who would claim to be a savior. First of all, he was a helpless savior. That doesn't make any sense, does it? That's a non secular, but it's who he was. The scripture says, this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. A newborn baby is helpless. We swaddle them to keep their fragile limbs protected and their delicate bodies warm. And for the first few years of their lives, they have no ability to feed themselves or clothe themselves or clean themselves. They are completely dependent on someone else to keep them alive. And this babe, who was the savior of the world, he was no different. One of the great wonders of Christmas is that the Son of God did not just become a man of some 30 years of age, but he became, first of all, a baby as physically small and helpless and needy as any newborn. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all in a small seven or eight pound package. The fullness of God in a helpless babe. Divinity in a diaper. In his book, God Came Near, Max Licato describes the helplessness of the Savior. He said, his face is prunish and red. His cry, although strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. 
majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep, manure, and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen, and worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. So it shouldn't surprise us that the shepherds on that night heard about this helpless Savior. For a baby is going to be born unto you, and he will be the Savior of the world. I promise you, no writer has ever written such a story. No drama producer has ever dreamed of such a tale. This is a God story. This is a miracle story. This helpless Savior was also humble. The Bible says in Luke 2.12 that this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This was the humblest of cribs. Did you know that the word manger actually means a feed trough? Jesus' first visitors were shepherds, the humblest of people, and they met their Savior on his terms in the humblest of places in a lowly feed trough. The first image we have of Jesus on this earth is that of being born in a barn surrounded by livestock. The scene announces humility and lowliness and vulnerability and weakness and exposure. And the last image we get of Jesus as he ends his earthly life is as a broken body hanging on a cross. Not the opening nor the closing scenes of Jesus' life suggest anything else but the life of a humble servant. The Apostle Paul reminds us that grace reaches into the humblest of places. He wrote this to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If Jesus had come in the way everyone expected, in majesty and great power, as he will come someday when he comes again, all of those who felt themselves beneath that status would have felt disqualified. But Jesus came in the lowest possible way, qualifying only the helpless and humble for salvation. He came humbly and helplessly so that no one could ever say, I am too sinful for him. I am too insignificant for him. As if to set the tone for the entire life and message of his son, God brought a delegation of shepherds to be the first to, to worship and to celebrate. He was only a few moments or a few hours old, but Jesus would have liked having these shepherds in his presence. After all, he was the one, this Jesus, who would enter the world and give himself and his life for tax collectors and sinners. He came of age three decades later. This teacher always had time for the pressing crowds. He spoke of the greatness of servanthood. He talked about the first being last 
He said that for anyone who served the least of these, it would be like they were serving him. He was a humble savior. He was not only helpless as a babe, humble, born in a manger, but he was a heavenly savior. The Bible says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When we read that there was a multitude of angels outside of Bethlehem announcing this word to the shepherds, we're reminded that angels are present in almost every important part of Jesus' life. Some years ago, I did a whole study. In fact, I wrote a book on angels. And I think one of the most surprising things to me was to realize how Almighty God dispatched his angels at certain times in the history of the world, almost as if to put an exclamation point behind the event. For instance, did you know that angels sang at creation? And they sang at the incarnation when Jesus was born? And the Bible says every time somebody receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, the angels sing in heaven, regeneration. And one day when he comes back again, the Bible says he will be accompanied by his holy angels. At creation, at regeneration, at incarnation, and at exaltation. Angels in the life of Jesus. If you see an angel and Jesus in the same picture, Stop for a moment and worship. Something important is happening. So he was a helpless savior. He was a humble savior. He was a heavenly savior. And you know, this whole business of him being from heaven and all these songs, I have to pause and just say this. Sometimes people wonder, why do we have so much music at Christmas? Let me explain to you why that happens. Did you know that in the two chapters in the book of Luke that tell the story of Christmas, there are four different songs. There are more songs in those two chapters than in any other place in the Bible except the Psalms. These angels knew something the shepherds didn't know, and they knew some songs that we should just reflect upon for a moment. Did you know that these angels sang and all of the characters in the Christmas story sang? Mary sang. Zacharias sang, the father of John the Baptist. Look in those passages and you will see there's music everywhere. Why is there so much music at Christmas time? <laughs> We're in good standing because that's the way it's presented in the Bible. So as we are Christians, we can receive the message of Christmas and we can respond to it. And when we respond to it, we do so as the shepherds did. These unassuming men followed the instructions of the angels and they made their way to Bethlehem and they looked into the manger and they saw that what was told them was true. It was not enough for them just to hear the message. They had to respond to it. Every time the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been faithfully preached, Men and women have been called individually to respond to that message. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. That isn't any good. It's better than not believing that, I suppose, but it won't get you to heaven. You have to believe that Jesus is your Savior. 
You have to respond to that message. You have to take him into your own heart. Ask him to forgive your sin and give you the gift of eternal life. Just to read about it in the Bible as we do it this season of the year is not enough. We must also, as the shepherds did, respond individually by acting upon that message in our own lives. Songs and good feelings and beautiful literature and liturgies and nice presents and big dinners and sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotion and feeling. Christmas is saying yes to a hope that is based on God's initiative to come into this world so that we can be free from our sin. Jesus is the Savior for the world, but he is not a Savior for those who will not put their trust in him. So at this season of the year, as did the shepherds, we can respond. They heard the instruction of the angels, and immediately they went forth and did what they were instructed to do. We can also retell the message. The shepherds did not just hide this message in their heart. They did not keep it to themselves. The scripture says, after seeing Jesus, the shepherds left the manger and they told everybody in their path of the things that had happened to them. Can you imagine how excited they were? You know, one of the things I love as a pastor over these many years is when people come to know Jesus Christ as their savior, the initial enthusiasm is palpable. I wish I could bottle it up. I wish I could put it in a box and hold on to it and remind them maybe five years later about how excited they were when they first found out that Jesus had forgiven them. These shepherds were filled with joy. They accepted the fact that he was born for them and they had to tell everybody they met. I'd like to pause for just a moment and give you a little practical admonition. Over the years when people talk about witnessing their faith, it usually conjures up in their mind taking some sort of course where they have to learn all the strategies to talk to people about Jesus. But the Bible doesn't present that. The Bible says these shepherds just told everybody they saw what they had personally witnessed themselves. Do you know what witnessing is, men and women? It's not going to a class. I mean, it's all right to do that, and if it makes you more effective, I'm all for it. But sometimes we make witnessing so hard, we lift it up so high, that anybody who isn't a theologian or a seminary graduate thinks, well, I can't witness. Yes, you can. All you need to do is tell everybody you meet what Jesus has done for you how Jesus has provided for you, how he made you well when you were sick. When you tell people what Jesus has done for you, you're witnessing just like the shepherds did when they left the manger that day. Don't let anyone put you into a complicated idea of witnessing. The important message of this season is this, that as Christians, we're to be like the shepherds, going everywhere, telling everyone, how wonderful our Savior is. What a wonderful thing that is when you see that happen. And it does remind you of how you felt when you really discovered that you had been set free and forgiven. That's the message of the gospel. And that's why Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, to forgive us. That's why we celebrate Christmas with such joy every year. I hope that's true for you. Well, As I mentioned earlier, we'll take the weekend off and go to our churches and celebrate Christmas for the last time at church, unless you have a Christmas Eve service. Of course, we do have one of those. 
But don't forget, go to church and remember, we're celebrating the birthday of our Savior. Go with joy, go with praise, go with worship, go with gratitude, but most of all, go. Go to church. Lots of literature floating around now why people don't need to go to church anymore. All of it is spurious. You need to be in church because the Lord tells you to gather together with his people. I hope you don't forget to do that, especially as we celebrate his birthday. Don't forget to ask for your copy of the book, Walking with Jesus. It's a 366-page devotional, one page specifically this year for leap year, and then one page, one devotional for every other day. This devotional is, is written for you to help you get started every day in your walk with the Lord. It's to add value to your life. It's to prime your pump. It's to get you going. And I know that the devotional writings will be of an encouragement to you and strengthen you every day. We want you to have this. It's yours again for the gift of any size to Turning Point as we collect our year-end giving. We want you to be a part of that, and we want to add value to your life with this devotional book. Be sure to ask for it when you send your gift today. Once again, the title of the devotional for the new year is Walking with Jesus. Have a wonderful weekend. Be sure to enjoy every moment of the wonder of Christmas as you celebrate the birthday of our Lord. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is strengthening your walk with the Lord, drop us a line at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., B4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for Turning Point Ministries to access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday for more of our special Christmas message on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. believe Jesus is with you in every moment? One of the best ways to instill this truth is by spending time in reflection and prayer. Dr. David Jeremiah makes this easy with his new 365-day devotional called Walking with Jesus. This exclusive book is available for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a donation of $120 or more, you'll receive the devotional four-pack, perfect for gifting. Learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. December 25th was not formalized as the day to celebrate the birth of Christ until the middle of the 4th century A.D. 
We don't know the exact day that Jesus Christ was born. Neither the Bible's writers nor secular historians tell us. But like most things historical about which we lack exact details, history has given us a traditional date that is probably in the ballpark. While annual anniversaries help us remember historical events, how would you feel if your family only paid attention to you on your birthday? I love celebrating Christmas once a year, but my goal in life is to celebrate Jesus coming into the world every day of the year. This is David Jeremiah. That is the Christmas story on Route 66. Driving the word home this Christmas on Route 66. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Start your journey home today.